0: visit us at cpchb.org. Thanks for listening. Well, I am excited this morning to introduce to you my friend Donna Barton, who is going to be preaching today from the passage that Kathy just read. Uh, Donna and I have a little bit of a shared history. We both spent a season of ministry up in Berkeley at First Presbyterian Church of Berkeley, and in fact, we we share a mentor in that way. And so... Um, there might be some shouts out to uh, to him today, I don't know, but uh, you are in for a real treat as Donna preaches the good news of Jesus Christ to us today, and I want to pray for her as we begin, uh, and I want to pray for you that God's spirit would move as you receive the good news, so join me in praying. Gracious God, thank you that you are a God who speaks to us, that you have spoken through the scriptures, and that you continue to speak to us as your Holy Spirit uh, brings these words to life. So God, would you speak through Donna today? Would you give her great joy as she shares the gospel she loves so much? And would you open our ears and our hearts to hear and receive the good news of Jesus Christ, that we might walk by the Spirit as you have designed us to do. We look forward, God, to the ways in which you'll shape us today. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So join me at home with a rousing round of applause and welcome Donna this morning.
1: Thank you, Peter. That was, uh, that was a kind introduction. I'm going to have to adjust this because... I'm not as tall as Peter. Here we go. There we are. So, as I said, my name's Donna Barton, and I'm so glad to be here with you this morning. Over the last few months, we have been studying the book of Galatians, where theological missteps regarding the teachings and practices within the churches of Galatia had the Apostle Paul very concerned. In chapters 1 through 4, the primary focus has been on the doctrine of justification. Justification is just a fancy church word that means how we are made right before God. We're made right before God through grace. And Paul wanted to make sure that the Galatians knew that God's grace alone was how they were saved. They were justified Forgiven, made right before the Lord. Accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are saved through faith. And Paul was concerned that the message that was going to be delivered to these Galatians was somehow misinformed. So Paul understood that we are made right before God by faith, but they were being taught that they are made right before God with faith and law, law versus grace. There were Jewish believers teaching a bit of this hybrid salvation where the law was still a part of one's justification. It seems that the Galatians were told that just... Their faith alone was not enough. They needed to obey the law in every way. Law versus grace. And Peter and Dean have been unpacking this over the last few months. But when we get to chapter 5, there's a theological shift where Paul focuses on sanctification. We had justification and now we have sanctification. Sanctification is just another fancy church word that means being set apart for a purpose. Being set apart from your sin. And finally, sanctification is the work of the Spirit in a believer's life, transforming them into the likeness of Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. This morning, we're going to look at Paul's bold writing on what it means to be a new creation in Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our Redeemer. When my son was a toddler, he never liked going to the church nursery. I don't know why. Perhaps he thought it was for babies because he went there when he was a baby. And when he goes there, there's still babies there. I don't know. Perhaps he felt that at the ripe old age of three or four, he no longer needed to be a part of this baby stuff. He was a young man. I don't really know. But he didn't like going to the nursery. And... Because of that, he would come to Sunday morning church services with us most of the time. I tell you this because I want to tell you something else. At the beginning of the Lenten season, it was time to attend our Ash Wednesday church service. My son, of course, didn't want to go to the nursery. I explained to him that the Ash Wednesday service... Mm, was not going to be something he's probably going to enjoy. That the Ash Wednesday service was a quiet time, a time of prayer, and just, you know, just not really his scene. He said he wanted to go to the service, but that he wanted to be quiet too. And I told him that if he came to the stores, he had to be really quiet, as in silent. And he told me, no problem, you know, I got you, Mom. This is not going to be an issue. So, okay. You know, I don't know what could go wrong, a four-year-old being quiet. I don't know. You know, my four-year-old, that wasn't really the way he operated. So, But regardless, into, this, into the church we went. So we walk in and the lights are low and there's candles lit and they've moved the chairs so that there are two half circles facing each other and there's a single violinist playing a lovely ballad. It was beautiful. We were slightly late, so we were the first ones to, you know, kind of, or the last ones to sit down, and um, it was awesome because we were facing, you know, half the church was facing us, so everybody got to see us sit down late. And not a second went by when my son started talking to me. And I looked at him, and I gave him the stink eye, and I told him to be quiet. And he moved off my lap and sat down on the floor next to me. Now, my son's name is Andrew, and like most four-year-olds, he had a wonderful imagination. And he could create whole worlds. And I called those worlds Andrewland. And Andrew was a magical place where anything could happen. But at this point, apparently in Andrewland, there was some kind of strife. And in order to deal with the strife, my son needed to be loud loud for whatever reason. So I look at him and I'm like, stink eye, shh. But I knew, this was, I knew where this was going. Andrew Land could get out of hand pretty quickly. So I picked him up and we started to walk out of church. And at the top of his lungs, he starts yelling, I want to be quiet. I want to be quiet. And the awesome thing is that with the chair, so half the church was looking at us, everyone could hear him and everyone could see him. So that was awesome. At that time, I was upset and I was embarrassed. And everyone said I would look back at that and laugh. And, well, I do. As a matter of fact, I could start laughing right now pretty hard, but I won't. But I also look back at that moment as a perfect example of our fleshly life. How many times have I said, I want to be more patient. I want to have more self-control. But apart from God's spirit at work in my life, I'm just yelling about it like my son. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. And what I hate, I do. Our text today, Paul gives us a very practical view of this tension. How are we simultaneously righteous and sinful? How are we a new creation, and yet we remain in our fleshly human form? Paul's focus is now on flesh and spirit. He went from talking about law and grace, and now we have flesh and spirit. In verse 16, it says, Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit, and what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposite to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. These are opposed to each other, sorry. Remember what Paul is writing... He is writing to new Christians who have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. But Paul was aware that as new believers, they could easily go back to their old fleshly way of life. When Paul is talking about the flesh, he is referring to the part of the believer that basically rejects God and a godly way of being. The flesh says, I want to live for me. I want to indulge my desires and my way of life. I love that Paul makes it so simple to check yourself. He makes a list. Here are the works of the flesh, plain and simple. Certainly not an exhaustive list, but a good start, I would say. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissension, fractions, drunkenness, carousey, and things like these. That ending kind of makes me laugh a little bit, though. It's like this list of debauchery, but then it's just, and things like these. So, (laughs) Anyways, (laughs) let's go back to what I was saying. Now, it's not to say that any of those things will never be a part of a believer's life. One may fall into those things, for we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. God is at work in our life, transforming us into his likeness, but we're not done yet. We're a work in progress. Christians still sin sometimes. We don't always win the battle with ourselves to let the Holy Spirit lead our decisions. In these texts, Paul is talking about the present tense, though. That those who do things in the present as an ongoing practice, as a way of life, are not true believers. They are led by the works of the flesh, and they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 18 says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Even though Paul has been talking about a battle between flesh and spirit, the law comes back into the discussion. Paul understood that the law is this external force that is used to modify our behavior so it aligns with the will of God. Whereas the Spirit is this internal motivator that's inside us, guiding and directing us, so our desires begin to reflect God's desires, and our purpose begins to reflect God's purposes. Since Paul was a teacher of the law, he knew it very well. And this passage in Galatians seems to reflect Paul's understanding of the new things that God had promised his people through the prophet Jeremiah. Listen to Jeremiah 31, 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put the law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. And they will be my people. What a gift. As God's children, we don't have to wonder what to do or how to be. We don't walk in darkness because God has placed a great light within us. Before we move to the happy stuff of the fruit, I want to invite you to think about the works of the flesh. For me, the list is like a big mirror, and I can see myself more clearly. I like to kid myself into thinking that my sin isn't so bad. I mean, it's not like it's going to end up on the news, I hope. Perhaps you are like me. You think you have most of these things handled. But often when pushed, a real character comes through. A few choice words to someone on the freeway when they cut you off. A bit of envy at someone else's good fortune. Quarrels, but you know you're right. It's the little things that become big if we're not mindful of the source of influence in our lives. It's so easy to get off track and to not pay attention. And then we find ourselves so wrapped up in our flesh that the thought of walking in the Spirit seems impossible. So take time today to pause, to check yourself, to give God the areas of your life that needs the Holy Spirit to come and heal and redirect. The beauty of being able to redirect away from sinful nature is not just the ability to have neutral behavior. Living a spirit-filled life is not simply about keeping the the flesh in check, but rather moving towards life where you seek to be a friend of God and pursue his purposes. In verse 22, Paul moves from talking about flesh to talking about the Spirit. By contrast, the, spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So we have grace, law, We have law coming in here again. That when you walk in the Spirit, there's no law against that. This is where there is freedom, full freedom in Christ. In this list, Paul is talking about what a Christian life should look like. As we walk in the Spirit, our life will reflect more and more the fruit of the spirit and less and less the works of the flesh. That is sanctification. God, in his loving kindness, calls us to this new way of being and simultaneously gives us all we need to live as we are called. God does all the heavy lifting in our life. Does anyone find it interesting, or at least I found it interesting, that Paul describes these multiple attributes as one fruit? Paul uses the Greek word karpos in its singular form, fruit. Many have thought that this point is about the f- importance of the first fruit, love. God has been described as love. Love is the greatest commandment. Love your God. Love others. So it makes sense that love is the first fruit. It's also possible that all the other fruit are just simply other manifestations of love. Fruit. Singular In our backyard, we planted three fruit trees. Our landscaper went to the nursery, purchased the trees, planted the trees while we were away. And when we came home, we saw three sticks planted in the ground. There were no markings as to which fruit tree was which. They were just sticks. But over time, and as we waited, eventually... A branch started to grow. And then some leaves. And then a bud. And then eventually, limes, lemons, and oranges. A classic SoCal backyard. We knew which tree was which because of the fruit that was produced. I think of my own life. Would someone identify me as a Christian. Would one look at little Donna's little Donna fruit tree and see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness? I don't know. I think I may need some fertilizer in my life so that these fruit can grow. Uh, There's I think that when we're about the things of God, it builds up our faith and it makes us strong in the Lord. I asked the staff meeting uh, last week at the staff meeting, I asked them, what fertilizer do you use to grow the fruit and your tree? And here are some of their responses. Wake up and think about all the things that I'm thankful for. Listen to podcasts instead of questionable music. Be still so God can speak and you can hear. Morning devotional and prayer. Listen to Christian worship music. Watch Christ Specific's live stream on Sunday morning. I'm kidding, but not really. Have a God's eye view and perspective. Read scripture. You may be thinking, I need a lot of fertilizer. But I assure you that when you walk in the Spirit, God will do the rest. I think we all look a bit like our backyard trees. A little bit of a work in progress. But perhaps there's a work going on in you. A little branch of faithfulness growing there's a little bud of self-control. There's a green lemon of goodness. But if we abide in Christ and walk by the Spirit, then God is at work in us transforming us into his likeness. And just my just as my son has grown up and doesn't scream when he leaves church, so the mature believer will more and more grow and be led by the spirit we don't have to yell i want to be kind but trust that the spirit is at work in us making us in fact kind the god who loves you who redeems you who has sanctified you has made your heart, his home, and will be with you always. You may not be perfected yet, but all those virtues are a part of you. They are the very thing that Christ promised. In him, you will have life and have it abundantly. Pray with me. Lord, thank you so much for your love that calls us out of our fleshly ways and into a life where love is at the center. May others see your goodness by the fruit growing in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining our Christ Pacific Sunday Sermon podcast. To hear more of our sermons, or to subscribe, or to learn how you can be engaged with what we're up to in Huntington Beach, please visit us at cbchb.org.